Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Boy, what a hell of a weekend. We are going to to talk about um, many and all dimensions of uh, what happened over the weekend. On the line with us right now is Mark Potok. He is the, uh, for 20 years, he was the guy who led the Southern Poverty Law Center in exposing hate groups, right-wing terrorism, uh, the rapidly increasing infiltration of extremist ideas into the political mainstream. Uh, he's now uh, uh, in your your uh, Mark. Welcome back to the program. First of all, well, thanks for having me again, Tom. I it's, appreciate it, it. It's it's always great to have you with us. Uh, you are no longer with SPLC. Yeah, that's right. I left in March and have been beginning to pull together some other projects, principally a book I'm thinking of of, uh, of writing in the next year or two. That's great. Uh, yeah, essentially about the rise of the radical right in the United States. Yeah, I wish you the very best on that. But you are, you know, one of the leading experts on this whole issue. I, you know, uh, there's a, there's a couple things here that I'd I'd like to just kind of put on the table and let you riff on. Um, uh, I, I I wrote an op-ed on this over the weekend that I believe Alternate will be publishing later on today. Um, in which I point out that basically the whole Republican strategy of reaching reaching out to white racists, uh, you know, as everybody knows, started with Nixon with the Southern strategy, and then and then Reagan and the whole Lee Atwater thing, and and uh, you know speaking in Philadelphia, Mississippi, et cetera. But that the reason uh, that that there's a behind this, you've got this group of basically billionaires and polluting companies that now own the Republican Party. And they don't give a rat's ass about racism. They don't care about bigotry. They don't care about abortion rights. They don't care about women's health. They don't care whether people have health insurance or not. They just don't want to pay taxes and they want to be deregulated. But they realize as they fund this giant Republican machine that they have taken over with the help of the of the Supreme Court, they realize that they have to have the rubes. They have to have the voters, that there are people who Really, you know, uh, abortion is more important to them. White supremacy is more important to them. Having their guns uh, and making up for their little penises is more important to them than whether or not anybody has health care or whether the air is clean or whether the planet is melting down or whatever. And and so, you know, the billionaires who, who fund the Republican Party are quite 
quite happy to tolerate the Republicans reaching out to these various fringe groups that the, that the billionaires don't give a damn about uh, in order to get enough people to get themselves elected, um, number one. And number two, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why is it? I lived in Germany for a year, 1986-87. I never saw a monument to a German general. The Nazis ran Germany for 11 years. The Confederates ran the southern part of the United States for four years. Why is it that Germany has no, 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 no statues to Rommel and, you know, et cetera, whereas you find Robert E. Lee all over the United States? What the hell is going on here? And, and then, you know, feel free to uh, pontificate on your thoughts of, of what happened over the weekend. Well, you know, yes, first of all, I agree that uh, uh, the sort of uh, millionaire business interests uh, behind the Republican Party don't care much about these issues at all until they start to impinge on their advertising, right? I mean, uh, you know, when their ads, uh, you know, seem to be getting them in bed with uh, people making racist statements and so on. But outside of that, I think the interest is very, very thin. And, you know, what we really see, it seems to me, happening to the Republicans is, uh, you know, the so-called party of Lincoln is now, courtesy of Donald Trump and some of his inner circle, uh, really embracing this in an open way that's different than the, the way you're talking about the kind of business wing of the party embracing it. Uh, you know, I think it's been obvious uh, over the weekend as we listen to Trump's incredibly terrible statements on this. Uh, you know, and, and I think for for those sort of, you know, the, the kind of... Uh, moderate Republican uh, pleas uh, for uh, Trump to say something. I, I think that is ridiculous, uh, actually. And what I mean is this. I think that anything uh, Donald Trump says about race and racism and white supremacy uh, is an opportunistic lie. And we can simply assume that from the beginning, right? I mean, let's not forget where this guy came from and what he has done uh, in the course of his uh, presidency and the campaign before that. Uh, you know, I think the only, I mean, really, the, the thing is just, it, to me, infuriating. I mean, I think that uh, people, Americans, should be demanding, uh, if such thing is possible, uh, not only that Trump get out there and say something, but that he actually do something. And, and that, to me, means uh, throwing Steve Bannon out of the White House, throwing Sebastian Gork out on the street, and doing the same with Stephen Miller, the three kind of principal uh, exponents of this kind of open uh, racism. Uh, and that's only a start. Uh, you know, obviously it's true uh, about the Republican Party, and it's not only the history of the Southern strategy and, and later uh, Reagan and so on, but, you know, what's happened in the last few years, the incredible number uh, of uh, voter suppression measures. Uh, the newest thing we're seeing out there in the states with uh, state after state, I think some 20 states now have legislation proposed this year that would limit protests uh, in various ways. Or legalize running over protesters. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know, the legislation is aimed not at uh, the white nationalists or groups like uh, Vanguard America, but Black Lives Matter, uh, anti-racist protesters, and so on. And Dakota Access so Pipeline. I, I just think it's hard to express enough, you know, anger uh, with regard to Trump uh, and his, his little gang. You know, about Germany, yes. I, I mean, I know the German case really well. I spent a lot of time in Germany, have a lot of colleagues there in the anti-racist world. And, you know, I think one thing that has to be said about Germany is that more than any other place I can think of, really, uh, in history, uh, the Germans as a society have really uh, genuinely repudiated uh, Nazism, national socialism. 
that's not to say, obviously, there are things like the NPD and various small Nazi groupings, uh, but they have really been repudiated by the society, and the absence of any kind of statues uh, or memorials uh, really reflects that. I mean, if you go to Berlin, what you see are memorials to uh, victims of the Holocaust and things like that. You know, uh, let me say one other thing about monuments in this country. I mean, in a way, the Robert E. Lee statue uh, in Charlottesville is, is a, in a sense, one of the most benign statues out there. Uh, you know, uh, I just uh, like to say that there are some statues, some uh, memorials, for instance, an obelisk uh, in the city of Colfax, Louisiana, a small town in a very backward part of Louisiana, not far from Gina, as a matter of fact, uh, which is a monument literally, quote-unquote, to white supremacy. Uh, it is a monument mourning the deaths of three white racists uh, who participated in an early Reconstruction massacre uh, of about 150 black people who were trying to defend their voting rights. So, you know, that's what really uh, these monuments represent. And, you know, for the incredibly disingenuous arguments uh, from so-called moderates, uh, about, uh, well, this is just history and you can't erase history. I just think that's unbelievably disingenuous. And, you know, you brought up, uh, I thought, rightly, uh, the example of Germany is a completely different case. Yeah. Here's uh, Donald Trump, who has, uh, I mean, going back to the uh, 80s or 90s, whenever it was when the Central Park Five, uh, these five young black and Hispanic men sure. who were accused of uh, raping this woman in the park and nearly, you know, beating her to death, and nearly beating her to death. And it turns out that uh, when the DNA evidence came in, it was a serial killer, as I recall. It was a white guy uh, who yes, did right. it. And it was not any of these kids. And yet, even in the face of that evidence, uh, Trump continued to stand behind his ad that he bought in The New York Times calling for the death penalty to be reinstated in New York State so it could be applied to these five young men of color. Um, and from that to, uh, you know, wondering out loud and basically turning it into an industry if Barack Obama was, you know, a secret Kenyan socialist, Muslim, whatever, uh, to his anti-Muslim stuff, to his, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, it, it does not surprise me that Donald Trump refuses to call out the white racists. This, you know, initially I was thinking this is his base, just like Nixon and Reagan. He is just exploiting these people. He's, he thinks of them as rubes. Now I'm starting to think that he actually thinks of them as part of his family, that he, that he identifies with them. It, what does, you know, from your time at the Southern Poverty Law Center and the work you're doing right now, we're talking with Mark Potok, by the way, uh, the, the former uh, leader of the Southern Poverty Law Center, his website, markpotok.net. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, who is our, our, our commander-in-chief? I think he's an unvarnished racist. Uh, you know, let's remember one of the things that I think is not mentioned uh, when uh, various people recite the litany of, of his racism uh, too often is the fact that throughout his campaign, he repeatedly encouraged uh, thuggish uh, street violence against black protesters at his rallies, right? Again and again and again. Uh, when that young black man was sucker punched, uh, I think he was uh, maybe Mobile. Uh, and famous uh, video shot. Uh, the local sheriff uh, described the man as a complete coward and so on. And Donald Trump, on the other hand, offered to fund the man's defense. So, you know, it's not only uh, uh, these, you know, relatively abstract things like his burgerism, 
and and so on, but it is, you know, actually inciting violence against black people. What do we do uh, about no, this, Mark? We have we have about a minute and a half here before we're going to hit a break. I, I don't know what we're going to do about it. I mean, you know, it, it is incredibly disheartening uh, to see what I think is still a pretty weak reaction from so-called moderates out there uh, against the Republican Party and against Trump. Uh, and, you know, what to me is uh, sort of doubly enraging is to hear Sebastian Gorka, the supposed terror expert of uh, Donald Trump, uh, describing, among other things, the recent bombing of a Minneapolis mosque as a fake hate crime, uh, suggesting uh, initially that this could have been an attack by the left and so on. Uh, he actually just a few days ago said there has never been a serious attack unconnected to ISIS or al-Qaeda. And as, well, as you know and I know, it's it's a complete and utter lie. Right. Uh, and now, I've, I've, it's being swallowed. I've read that Gorka was a member of a of a Nazi group in in what was it, Hungary? Yes. He has prize. I don't know about a member. Yeah. Uh, and the, the group. Yeah, they're claiming him. As, as a neo-Nazi organization. He got some kind of uh, medal that uh, looks rather like a Nazi emblem uh, uh, from these people. Remarkable. So so maybe for the moment, the best uh, disinfectant is sunlight? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there has to be. I'm glad to see people uh, like the mayor in Charlottesville, uh, you know, taking such an active stance. Uh, and I'm glad to see that some people uh, are using this to discuss the racism of the Republican Party or the racism that it, it employs. Uh, Amen. Mark, we're, 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 we're out of time. Mark Potok, thanks so much for being with us, Mark. A real pleasure, Tom. Thanks. Good talking with you. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Boy, there's, uh, as I said, I, I think that it's time to begin a campaign in the United States and uh, to, to, to take down every Confederate statue or monument in this country, just to say enough. Now, I realize, I think her name was Stephanie Rollins, the, uh, the, uh, oh, where did it go? The, uh, <laughs> I've got so much paper here. Um, anyway, uh, you know, the, the mayor of, of one of these towns, I think it was Baltimore. Yeah, it was Baltimore. Stephanie Rollins is the mayor of Baltimore, and she ordered that signs be put in front of the Confederate monuments, in, in front of four Confederate monuments in Baltimore that say, quote, these monuments were part of a propaganda campaign of national pro-Confederate organizations to perpetuate the beliefs of white supremacy, to falsify history, and to support segregation and racial intimidation. End of quote. You know, that's the sign that should be in front of the statue if the statue is moved into some museum. But the state should not even fund the museum. Right? If, if some very wealthy Nazi wants to create a museum, you know, like the creationist guys, you know, they created their museum in Tennessee or Kentucky or wherever it was. And, you know, you can go to the creationist museum and see men riding dinosaurs, back, you know, and so, you know, if some crazy right winger with, uh, with more money than he knows what to do, and there's certainly no shortage of those, wants to create, you know, some museums that other right wingers can go to and look at these statues, uh, you know, well, then the right winger wouldn't put this kind of sign in front of it, would it? Unless, unless the city said, okay, we'll sell you the statues for a dollar or whatever, or for the cost of removal, but you must put this statue on them, or this, uh, this you know, uh, uh, sign on them indicating what's going on. 
But this, and, and, and by the way, now Mayor Catherine Pugh, the, the new mayor of Baltimore, says, screw it. Uh, you know, we're not even going to do the signs. We're going to take these things down. So it's like this, these are memorials to the worst part of American history. And, 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 and then, you know, then we've got this guy, Congressman Tom Garrett, U.S. Representative Tom Garrett, this uh, uh, by the uh, Roanoke uh, newspaper uh, in Dateline Charlottesville. U.S. Representative Tom Garrett insists he's not afraid to stand up to Donald Trump, although, well, it's a, actually, I'm going to have to, I have the wrong piece of paper here in front of me. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to this in just uh, we're going to pick up your calls. I want to share why, you know, as I said to, to Mark Potok, why I believe the Republican Party has been throwing in the decline and the Nazis now ever since Richard Nixon. Um, but we'll pick up your calls. I think we all need to vent and share a little bit and just process what happened this weekend. Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman Program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beats. I'm drinking Super Beats, a circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy and amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beats fitness in a glass. With Super Beats, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beats and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed of your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. They're delicious. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can try Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results plus two indicator slips, strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results. Guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. That's tomsbeats.com. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And uh, let's just, let's, let's have a conversation about this. Uh, Linwood in Gordonsville, Virginia. Hey, Linwood, what's, what, what's on your mind? Well, I was actually at the rally. My family told me, you know, don't go down there. Don't go down there. Don't go down there. I'm like, well, I'm going to check this out because I was coming to bring my van. I was coming to pick up my van from my mother and father's house. And I saw those same protesters, pro and anti-protesters, on the same sidewalk going to the protest mm-hmm. on a strip in Charlotte called Preston Avenue. And they were just as civil. They were just as, you know, they didn't get into no fight or anything. So I'm like, hmm, if they really hated each other, really opposed each other about on the issue, they would have been out there, you know, getting into a scuffle right there. Maybe. I mean, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you have to punch them. I mean, but Tom, I said, you know what? Let me find out if this, if it's like Alex Jones is calling it a false flag oh, or not. So me being the kind of person I am, let me go find out. So I went down there, went downtown Charlottesville, and it had so here. The alley was that dude came through and hit those protesters. That alley was originally closed. No traffic coming could go in. No traffic could come out. So it was definitely suspicious how that car got in that got into that one Pacific lane, that one Pacific alley, because it has two speed bumps there. Hmm. Your, your car's going to be messed up if you go in that fast 
under your, your muscle going to be jacked up. Right. Or your transmission. So it yeah. Definitely, it was definitely suspicious how that went down. Now, as I went down there, yes, these neo-Nazi groups were down there, but these weren't the kind of neo-Nazis that we know that they are. These are neo-Nazis that have cleaned up their image. Gone are the days with the skinheads and the white power stuff. These guys now look like your college professors. You're, they belong to fraternities. This is what they came out looking like. Right. Clean, clean. Was there fighting going on? You bet your behind it was. It was a lot of fighting. I talked to on both. I was talking to both sides of the crew, and it wasn't about a minute or a second later. It was fights breaking all over the place. As far as police were concerned, they were outnumbered. Hmm. When the protesters couldn't beat up on the the white racists, they started whooping up on the beating up on the police officers, and the police officers had to retreat. So the police was not everywhere policing everything because they were spread the hell thin. Yeah. And these Blue Lives Matter people, where are they at then? They didn't care about these police officers when they're getting the hell beat out of them in the midst of a protest trying to break up fights. Fights is breaking up time like the plague. You saw a fight down here. You saw a fight down well, here. Well, Linwood, what I'm hearing from some, you know, a very good friend of mine uh, I, who I, I saw this morning before I came into the into the radio studio here. Um, you know, just he, he just walked up to me and just started talking. Yeah, I mean, just he was so freaked out. He was. He was like, I'm having PTSD. He said, uh, you know, uh, two friends of mine went to, uh, as I recall, it was Greenwood, Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, and both and, and both of them were killed by fascists. And this was some years ago in, in, in Greensboro. And he said, and I would have been with them, except that, you know, a friend of mine called and I had to go over to his house, you know, on stop there on the way there and blah, blah, blah. He says, but, you know, had it been had it not been for that phone call, I'd be dead right now at the hands of these fascists. And and the and the guys who killed these four or five people in, in Greensboro, uh, they were acquitted. These these, you know, these white guys. So but but anyhow, he said that, you know, what he heard from the people is that basically the police just kind of stood back and let it happen. And what I'm hearing from people is that at least initially, the, as as the as the fascists began beating up the anti-fascists, the cops just stood there and said, oh, well, that's cool. And it wasn't until the fascists were basically done beating up people and started moving along to another place that the cops moved in. You were there, Linwood. Does your experience comport with that description that I keep reading on Twitter and whatnot? It, it, Tom, all of that took place. There was points where the police, because it spread it like the plague. It started down right where the Jefferson Madison Regional Library was in the downtown area where the pair back behind the back of where the Paramount Theater is, exactly where Emancipation Park is. That's where they tried to concentrate it at. Right. Keep, it, keep the protesters right in that area where it wouldn't mess with the general population. Well, they did a piss poor job then because it spread all the way downtown to where um, there's a gym down there called ACAC. It spread it all the way down to where Garrett Square, which is a housing area. Housing development. Well, wasn't that the Nazis saying, "Okay, we're leaving here and we're going to go to the place where there's a large concentration of people of color and and try to intimidate them? Well, actually, no, they actually left. They was up on Ridge McIntyre on 250 250 West. Mm -hmm. They went to 250 West and the National Guard had came in and they couldn't And the National Guard specifically told them they couldn't go left. They couldn't go right. They had to stay right there. And if they went anywhere, they would be arrested. Right. They already called it um, a, a unlawful, um, an unlawful assembly. 
Both sides had, everybody had damn tear gas. Everybody had um, pepper spray. So you didn't know who was spraying what with pepper spray or tear gas. But everybody came prepared. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, my, my, my friend talking about what happened in Greensboro some years back. This is just a quick clip from uh, uh, Linwood. I got to move along, but thank you for thank you so much for the call. Uh, it, this is a quick clip from the uh, Greens from a survivor of the Greensboro massacre. Now, this, you know, uh, just to put this in historical context, um, we have a long history of white supremacist terrorism in the United States. The oldest uh, white supremacist terrorist group, the oldest terrorist group in America in, in the United States, is the Klan. And they were out there in force this this last weekend. But this is from Greensboro. Here we go. Is there audio on this? There will be in just a second. Okay. So we're what you know? Uh, yeah. There's. Sandy mentioned I remember because uh, every demonstration we have, I mean, it's like uh, we have our own personal police force. These cops are on our are on our case all the time. Okay, so that's that's then. This is now. Here's uh, David Duke uh, via NBC talking about what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend and how pleased he was by the president's response to it. David Duke. This represents a turning point for the people of this country. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. And that's what we got to do. There you go. And I think that's why Donald Trump has not repudiated these guys. It's just it's pretty amazing. And then Fox News goes on, you know, the, the Fox and Friends this morning and uh, basically says, oh, yeah, white supremacy. No problem. Or have come out and said we need to we need to get rid of this type of stuff in our country. Neo-Nazism and and white supremacy. Just pointing out that Antifa it, though also ought be called out, just That's like the, the violent aspects of Black Lives Matter ought be called out. Sure. Uh, you can call that out, and then, but still also listen, say, on Black Lives Matter, to the grievances of young African-American males in, the, in, in urban cores who feel like they're looked at differently by police. That discussion still should be had, just like young white men who feel like, hey, I'm treated differently in this country than, than I feel like I should have. I've become a second-class citizen. I think the president nailed it. He condemned in the strongest possible terms hatred and bigotry on all sides, as opposed to immediately picking aside out the gate. He saluted the police specifically for what they did. It's not multiculturalism first. It's America first. And if we see ourselves through that lens, then it unites us as opposed to dividing us. Right. If we see it through that lens, you know, we we hate the fascists as much as we hate the people protesting the fascists. Oh, Fox News. Charles in Opelika, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Um, I don't know. I just thought about this all weekend, and I just wanted to talk to you because um, it's very disturbing what happened. But you know, this is the reality that we're living in. And I guess I woke up this morning just thinking one thing, and that you know, people that's, that's marching with the KKK and the skinheads, all these uh, um, white supremacists, they seem like they're broken people. Yeah. You know, um, however they was raised, uh, whatever ideology, and they seem to have a uh, superiority, superiority complex. But these people seem like they've um, entered into the world, and 
everything that they've been taught, it, it wasn't so, or it's, it's not in the reality, and they don't seem like they can cope with it. Well, I think what it boils down to, Charles, is that a lot of white people are really upset that their white privilege is being taken away, that, that they're going to have to participate as equal members of society alongside people of color and, and, and alongside women. Uh, this is mostly white males. And, and these white men, by and large, uh, you know, they don't like that. They, they want their position of power in society back. They want to be you know, the lord of the plantation in the antebellum south, and that's why they worship Robert E. Lee and friends. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's just the bottom line. Charles, well said, thank you. Uh, this is a, a white supremacist at the, at the uh, uh, rally with a gun threatening to shoot protesters over the weekend. Guy pulls his gun out, and then then you've got uh, these guys, you know, throwing throwing rocks. You, you see, he's wave, He keeps waving his gun around at at these people. I mean, this is this is enough to scare the hell out of anybody. This is not a, not a good situation. This is this is not America. Talk about Kenyatta in Loma Linda, California. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? It's been a while since we've oh, talked. How are you, Tom? I'm well. I hope you are too. I am, and I'm actually in Redlands. I think I might have given oh, Redlands. on another okay. phone. I think I gave Louise the wrong zip code. But anyway, I wanted to to, to share with you an experience that I had uh, when this took place. Um, my daughter and I, who's uh, she's just graduated from high school, lovely young lady, and uh, we were watching the uh, the night before the young lady was killed. We were watching the protest and the the torches that uh, these people were carrying. And I remember when I was a boy, 50 some years ago, watching that very same image, the photos were, the, the film was black and white, but there were crosses and the same type of people, the same racist, they, they weren't so bold as to uncover themselves. They had pillowcases on, but I remember that eerie glow. And here I am with a kid that's 18 years old, all these many years later, watching the same thing. And my father before me talked about those same eerie images. And so we keep talking about this conversation, the conversation. Every time Tamir writes, we've got to have a conversation on race. Walter Scott, we've got to have a conversation. We've been having the same damn conversation for, for, for over a century. Yeah. You see, it's not the conversation. The Civil War never ended for us as black people, Tom. Yep. We need to have, it's not the conversation. We need a paradigm shift in the conversation. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When Tear I, down the damn the damn monuments and, and let's put an end to this thing. Let's let's brand the, the stars and bars, the Confederate battle flag, uh, you know, as the, essentially the same thing as the swastika. It is the logo of a failed, treasonous attempt at insurrection against us, against the United States of America. I know that, and it's interesting that you brought up the swastika, because the black man in this country is constantly taught to forget. You forget. Forget. Now, I'm not taking nothing away from the Holocaust, horrible uh, event in, in humankind. But they say never forget, but the black man, you're told to forget, and this is the conversation I want to have as a black man. I want to have a conversation as to why it is you're constantly telling me, I'm speaking rhetorically, that I don't see what I see. 
Right. So I don't see that George Stinney was 14 years old, so diminutive in size, supposedly killed two white girls at 14 years old, the youngest person ever put to death in this country. They had to modify the electric chair to fry his little body. I'm supposed to not see that. I'm supposed to not see that the black man in this country consistently has the shortest life expectancy of any other demographic group. I'm supposed to, this guy that you had on earlier waving the gun around at this protest, I'm not supposed to sit up and think as a black man, now, if that had been a black man that bought his ass there waving the gun around, that would have turned out entirely different. I'm not, see, that's the conversation I want to have. I want to have the conversation as to why you're telling me, why you're pissing on me and telling me it's raining. That's the conversation. Yeah. And, and I, I realize you're not speaking to me, you're speaking to, you know, our, our culture as a whole, I guess, or the, the, well, who specifically do you think you're speaking to when you say that, Kenyatta? What's in your well, mind? Well, I, oh, well, I'm, I'm, speaking to the, I'm speaking to the society at large. I'm speaking mainly to white people because white people run the system. Yeah. If white people wanted police killings, for instance, if white people truly, as a group, wanted them to stop, they would stop. Black Lives Matter can run around, sing songs and hymns, get their heads bashed in. They can do all of that, and I'm not taking anything away from them. We've been doing the same thing, what, since I, I was born in 1963. Yeah. It's been the same thing. What, what are your, you know, Kenyatta, as I recall, you are a former law enforcement officer. Am I re recalling correctly? Correct. Correct. Uh, what were you were you uh, I'm assuming you were watching over the weekend. What did you think about the restraint of the police while the Nazis were beating up the anti-fascist protesters? I, <laughs> I, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. 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 That's 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 what I think. Yeah. One of the reasons that my, and I've, I've alluded to this to you before, one of the reasons that I had a very, very short career, a matter of, of 18 months in law enforcement, was because of the system. The, the entire training process is racist. Some of it subliminal, some of it overt. Yeah. Uh, you know, we I, we talked before, uh, not too many years ago, few three or four years ago, we had a, a situation in Miami Dade, uh, some county in Miami, where the officers were using black uh, uh, mugshots of black uh, arrestees for target practice. Right. Uh, you, you know, this is what I'm talking about. I don't want to have a conversation about race. I know what it is. You know what it is. It is what it is. What I want to talk about is why you, why you, and when I say you, I mean. People in general are constantly telling black people we don't see what we see. But if we look at every socioeconomic metric, we're at the bottom. So something's jumping off. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is this is a white problem that white people need to own. And I think the good news is it's getting harder and harder for all of the 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 institutions that support structural racism in the society from our from our schools to our to our media to our political system to bury it hide it pretend it doesn't matter you know you know, scream about muslim uh, uh, terrorism but never talk about white terrorism it's getting harder and harder to do that, that I, at least from where i'm sitting it looks that way kenyatta your thoughts i i, I just wanted to say one thing i, I hope you're right uh, i tend to uh, be an optimist but i'm also a cynic yeah. but i will tell you this much tom uh, one of the things that's very subtle that I don't understand here is why this young man was not 
you always overcharge as a prosecutor. You always, because you may end up making a deal. So, you know, part of the deal. Right. Why didn't they charge him with first, first degree as a... Why was he not charged with first degree murder? Right. I don't get that one. I think it's because he didn't specifically intend to kill that particular person. But, you know, I'm not, I'm just guessing. I, you know, I'm guessing that they're, they're going to pin him with what they think they can get. But I. But you can always go down, Tom. You yeah, I know. I know. I share your outrage. <laughs> you know, I absolutely do. And, and, you know, they say they're looking for his allies. Well, hey, you know, there's pictures of him with the local Republican congressman. Uh, perhaps not him. Maybe it was the guy who set the conference up. There's pictures. I, it's like, it's, anyway, uh, Kenyatta, thank you for the call. It's always good talking with you, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll be back. Uh, stick around. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And uh, let's see here. Oh, the president. I, I wanted to tell you what's what's been going on here with Donald Trump. Finally, after three days, they were able to dig a speechwriter out of the White House who could carefully craft a paragraph for the president to uh, to publish. And uh, this is what the uh, this is the statement that is attributed to President This is the statement that is attributed to Donald Trump this morning. Quote, racism is evil and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists and other hate groups are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our creator. We are equal under the law. We are equal under the Constitution. Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. Right. So he finally comes out after three days after being shamed. Kenneth Frazier, the chairman and chief executive officer of Merck, uh, wrote, I am resigning from the president's American Manufacturing Council. Our country's strength stems from its diversity and the contributions made by men and women of different faiths, races, sexual orientations and political beliefs. Our America's leaders must honor our fundamental values by clearly rejection, rejecting expressions of hatred, bigotry and group supremacy, which run counter to the American ideal. And then less than an hour later, Donald Trump says, now that Ken, now Ken Frazier, keep in mind, the only African-American CEO on his manufacturing council. So Trump comes out and says, now that Ken Frazier of Merck Pharma has resigned from president's manufacturing council, he will have more time to lower rip off drug prices. Right. This is pretty pathetic. Very pathetic. Larry, uh, Larry, I don't have a city for you. I'm sorry. It doesn't say where you're calling from. Yeah, I'm calling. Well, I, I live in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Okay. I'm, yeah. in, I'm in Winchester, Virginia. But it says that you had an answer to uh, Kenyatta's question from the last segment about why didn't they throw the first first degree murder at him and then, you know, if necessary, plea bargain it down or let the jury take it down to second degree murder? Yeah, I do. I was a, a felony prosecutor for 23 years. I've tried many of these cases. Uh, the way the law works in West Virginia, and I'm sure it's the same in Virginia, is that all homicide cases are indicted as second degree, charged and indicted as second degree murder cases. And then if the evidence is sufficient at trial to find evidence of premeditation as well as malice, uh, malice of forethought, then the judge will let us argue first degree murder to the jury, or the jury can find first degree murder on its own. Well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting little quirk in the law, but that's the way it works. So the second degree murder is simply that's what you have to start with, at least in West Virginia, where you practice law for 23 years as a prosecutor and presumably in Virginia. 
Yes, I, I believe so. Most of West Virginia's law and Virginia's uh, West Virginia and Virginia's laws line up, uh, mirror each other pretty closely. Yeah, which just makes sense. I mean, it's the, the yeah. whole region. Larry, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Tom. Thank, and thank you, thank you, uh, and thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, not too much, Tom. I got a couple of quick points. Hey, I subscribe to a newsletter by a scientist, an archaeologist, mainly because he is interested in archaeology, human psychology, and climate change. And I happen to be interested in that topic as well, right? Mm -hmm. But on his newsletter, he does have some political stuff that I noticed like a couple of weeks ago. Now, I don't know. He might have some other writers contributing that, though. But one story was about these white nationalists actually actually contributing or, or complimenting, uh, complimenting Trump's events. And I was like, wow, man. But anyways, I just kind of, I mean, that was before this. This was a couple weeks ago. And I just kind of dismissed it. And the other thing I wanted to say, and I know for a fact, because I've had to intervene in a couple of these for a while now, these white nationalists have been going around saying that you could run over a protester and get by with it. As a matter of fact, a couple of younger guys, I had to tell them, I had to tell them, I said, look, as a matter of fact, one, one white nationalist threatened to beat me up over it. I had to tell this young guy because I didn't want to get in trouble. I was like, you know, that's not true. I mean, and I said, just think about it. There's local laws. There's local laws. I mean, even if even if the Trump administration did somehow say it was okay to run over protesters, mm -hmm. there's local laws that, that that take precedent and all that. I said just you know, and um, but but there there no state laws can overrule lo local laws. Um, this from CNN.com. Uh, this was back in 2017, April of 2017, April 24th. The the headline: Numerous states considering anti-protest bills. And uh, they start out talking about North Carolina, and then they say state lawmakers in Georgia, Iowa, Tennessee, and Florida have pushed bills uh, to boost penalties for blocking roads and highways or trespassing. These are anti-protest laws. Uh, with the Florida bill also exempting drivers from liability for unintentionally injuring or even killing protesters who do so. Last month, the Tennessee legislature passed a bill sponsored by Republican State Representative Jimmy Matlock that would make it a misdemeanor to obstruct streets, quadrupling the fine. Republican Governor Bill Haslam signed the bill earlier this month. In Minnesota, legislators are considering uh, two highway obstruction bills and a measure that would allow protesters to be sued for the cost of police in their protests. Republican State Representative Nick Zerwas, who had a hand in all three bills, said he co-authored one of them after hearing how his constituents were affected when protesters shut down freeways, a tactic he called the go-to protest move. Um, so far, it's Texas and um, uh, North Dakota that have actually passed laws uh, saying that if you accident accidentally, in quotes, uh, you know, run down a protester and kill them, you can't be held guilty for murder. Well, I just had to intervene for a moral reason. You know, priority one, preserve human life. I mean, you know, I didn't want to see some young guy go out and run some. I don't want to see anybody go out and run somebody over. Yeah. But my question to you is, is like, how do we get ahead of all this? I mean, because like I said, it's it's like we're, we're trying to react to what these white nationalists have been like working arduously on. Oh, yeah. OK. 
Yeah, Dave, I, it's a damn good question. And I think that the, the principal answer is what we're doing right now. We need to start talking about it. We need to start talking about it in blunt terms and calling it out for what it is. Dave, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, online with us, uh, a, uh, a friend of mine uh, who was at the rally over the weekend. And uh, uh, his first name is Nate. We'll just stay with that. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Tom? Good. So uh, tell me what you experienced. I, I, you and I talked this morning, and I, I thought that uh, in particular, the thing that really perked my ears up was your comment. And we actually had a caller in the last hour who said essentially the same thing, that many of these fascists, while the cameras like to go to the guys with the long hair and the, the beards who look like bikers, the fact of the matter is that an awful lot of these Nazi fascist uh, clan members looked like they had just stepped out of a uh, out of a college fraternity uh, kegger or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely the most disturbing part to me. I think if you've been on a college campus in America, you ask anybody who's you know gone to class with people of conservative leanings, they'll they'll notice that the people that they saw there seems like someone you could have known. Seems like someone you could have had a class with who was really animated about stopping political correctness. I think. It's, it was disturbing to see people, how familiar the fascists were. I think, you know, you get it up, you get this idea in your head that there's going to be German stormtroopers marching down the street, um, and it's like 1942 all over again. But it's been since, since Saturday, what's particularly upset me is how familiar the fascist fascists look. I think that that's something that we can't ever forget is how easily uh, white males in the society can turn to fascism. Yeah, I think it was Hannah Arendt who referred to it as the banality of evil. Yeah. Um, you and I talked on Friday before you left, and, and you were uh, somewhat concerned for your safety and, and, and for all this. Um, you were 30 feet away from where Heather was killed, uh, when, when she was killed. Uh, Heather Heyer, the uh, young woman who uh, the Nazis are trashing all over their right-wing websites. I don't know if you've looked at any of those this morning. Uh, it's I've, I've seen headlines, but I've tried to avoid. I made the mistake of looking at some of the uh, Nazis' Facebook pages that were revealed on the Internet, and it was pretty disturbing. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I have seen those headlines. So, so what, you know, what stories would you like to share with us from your, your experience in Charlotte? Um, I think, you know, to stay on the positive side, I want people to understand that the moment right before the terrorist attack was an incredibly positive feeling. You had Black Lives Matter protesters, you had DSA protesters, you had the IWW, you had the anarchists, you had Antifa, you had Surge, Stand Up for Racial Justice, and we were all marching down downtown Charlottesville. And the feeling was that we had won the day. Uh, the Nazi protest in Emancipation Park um, had been declared an unlawful assembly. We, we heard that Richard Spencer had been detained. We heard that Baked Alaska, who's one of the other, uh, you know, neo-fascist Internet celebrities, we heard he had been maced. Um, the feeling was that our solidarity and resistance had won out. Um, and that feeling was incredibly powerful. And I think people need to remember that when people from all classes of life and particularly working people stand up against Nazis, we will win. Um, it happened in Britain in the 1930s in the Battle of Cable Street, and hopefully it will continue to happen again. I think this is a threat that needs to be nipped in its bud and resisted at all costs because the stakes are just too high. Uh, uh, one, uh, we just have a minute to the break here, Nate. Y any thoughts on going forward? Uh, you know, uh, what are what are you and your friends going to be doing, for example? 
Um, I, I think there needs to be a concerted effort to resist the alt-right. And I, I use that terminology only just because that's the way they collectively call themselves and sort of a catch-all for a group with a bunch of different agendas. Um, but they're really just fascists and neo-Nazis. I think we need to take this threat seriously. It's clearly attracting people um, who in the past have been the shock troops of fascism. Um, and I think it represents a real threat to democracy, especially when we have a, a president who clearly sympathizes with it or fails to understand why it's a threat. I think it needs to be resisted at all costs. Yeah, we've, we've talked before about how FDR uh, famously saved us from both communism and fascism. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know about this guy in the White House. Uh, Nate, thanks a lot for the call. You're welcome. Good talking with you. Uh, we'll be back. You guys know I'm a big fan of board games, and it's not just me. They're gaining in popularity. Board games now are so much better than the tired old games we played when we were kids. Take one of my favorite new board games called Evolution The Beginning. Evolution is a game that allows players to create their very own species and evolve them as the game goes on. It's really fun. It's really easy to learn. Everyone can appreciate the value of gathering around the table and playing this game. Even Science Magazine is getting in on the action. Recently, they ran a feature on this game, Evolution The Beginning. What's great is that there's real science behind the game's design. Heck, Nature, the scientific journal, even recommends this game. I highly recommend you go get this game, too. The only place you can buy Evolution The Beginning is at Target. And I understand it's now on sale for $5 off. So the next time you're at Target, or Target, go to the game section and look for the game with a big dinosaur on the front. That's Evolution The Beginning, now on sale for $5 off at Target. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And on the line with me is Dr. Randy Blazak. He is a professor of sociology on the faculty at the University of Oregon, co-chair, or excuse me, the chair of the Oregon Coalition Against Hate Crimes. Uh, OregonCAHC.org is that website. His, uh, his Twitter handle is uh, uh, rblazak, B-L-A-Z-A-K. Uh, Dr. Blazak, welcome to the program. Hey, it's good to be on it. I've long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, thank, thank you. It's great to have you with us. Um, I, I, I was reading your piece from literally two years ago, from 2015. Uh, you, you point out that you got your Ph.D. from Emory University in 95 after studying several years of ethnographic field studies of white supremacist groups. You've, you're widely published in this area. You're one of the world's leading experts, I would say, or at least the country's leading experts, on, on white uh, white supremacists. And, and in 2015, the, the title of your piece, you're a prophet, was Donald Trump is the new face of white supremacy. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, you know, I think um, it's a little surprising, I think, to many of us how quickly this all came about. But when I first was listening to his speeches, uh, when he announced he was running and his first sort of discussion about building the wall and, you know, global warming as a Chinese hoax. It just sounded so much like the rhetoric that I would hear at Klan rallies while I was doing my research or the things that skinheads would say about the world. And it was almost cribbed word for word in terms of the blaming of the victim or these conspiracy theories or the white man is on the way out and we have to bring America back. This whole make America great again thing is this push back to this mythical past of the straight white male when he was unchallenged by civil rights legislation and uh, Whoopi Goldberg. So the, um, the pace at which that has accelerated is frightening because I think two years ago, a lot of us thought he was just going to be, you know, a kind of side note of our political history and end up with a, a good TV show out of it. And in fact, now he's in the White House and the 
the frightening part is that the people who knew that rhetoric and were listening to them are now spilling into the streets and we're seeing the you know the end result of all that type of talk now in charlottesville and in seattle and all around the country including here in portland what are the dimensions of the clan slash nazi slash uh, more generic white uh, supremacist uh, groups and and individuals, for that matter, what are the dimensions of this in the United States? It's it's always something that's hard to measure. Even when the Klan was an organized group that had a um, set membership, and you would have people who were literally card carrying members of the Klan, it was hard to tell because there is the shadow membership that's involved. And so, one of the things that's happened over the last 20 years, and really the last 10 years, it's been these groups have moved online, so you don't have to be a formal member of a group. Dylan Roof, uh, the Charleston shooter, was never a member of a formal group. And so it's hard to gauge. And so in, in a weird way, uh, the stuff that's been happening over the last year with the alt-right has been useful because instead of being on these websites on Reddit and 4chan, they're now out, and we can actually count them, and they're, they're marching with their torches, and we can take their pictures. So you get a little bit of a better idea of the scope of it, but it's still really hard to measure. We do know um, from public, uh, public attitude surveys that there is a sort of a, a consistent 20% of people who are fellow travelers with this ideology. Of white people. Believe, of white people who believe that sort of their picture of America is in jeopardy. Uh, and you are opposed to civil rights laws that are opposed to gay rights. And so that, that's the sort of constant that's, thing. That's, the question is how much you can fan the people who are on the margins of that. Right. Uh, we had John Dean on. Uh, John Dean's been on this program many times. He wrote a book called Conservatives Without a Conscience that was based on a book, a previous book by another author called The Authoritarians. And he posited that about 20 percent of the population has authoritarian tendencies, most of them authoritarian followers as opposed to authoritarian leaders. And uh, the followers are looking for an authoritarian leader. Um, is there a lot of overlap between those two 20 percents? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think what we see and this is based not only on my research, but the research of others, is that there are people that have a hard time managing all the change that's happening in this country. I mean, if we think about the last 50 years and even the last 10 years, there's a huge demographic change. There's a huge change with regards to gender and sexual identity. There's a huge economic change. You know, people are working at Walmart instead of General Motors. I mean, all this change has been happening fairly quickly. And so the people who are going to be able to explain that change to those people who feel sort of left out by it and alienated by it are going to win the day. And if it was, you know, 1968, it might have been Students for Democratic Society or somebody like that. But, you know, for the last 20 years, the, the right wing has had the analysis that it's globalization and then a little bit darker you know, it's this conspiracy theory and a little bit darker from that. It's this conspiracy theory about a global Jewish elite that wants to displace white Christian men with feminism and homosexuality and hip hop music and all these other tropes that are hauled out to show that the white man isn't in power anymore. And so that's the, that's the thing that pulls those people in who are authoritarian following, who are looking for an analysis. That's step one. And then are looking for what to do about it. That's step two. And so these alt-right demonstrations are part of step two. Right. So I'm, I'm interested in solutions. If I could very quickly tell you a couple of stories out of my own life um, uh, about, you know, how about white people waking up to race. Um, my father grew up in Nuego, Michigan, a, a pretty much all white rural town in northern Michigan. 
uh, mostly a Norwegian community. His, his father and mother were Norwegian immigrants. And um, as a kid, I used to spend summers up there and with my cousins. My cousins weren't particularly racist, but some of the people that they hung out with were, I mean, this was where the earliest, my, some of my earliest memories of white people using the N-word just liberally uh, came from there. My father, so my father grew up in that. He went off to World War II to the Japanese, uh, what do you call it? And when he, uh, you know, to the, uh, to the occupation where he served with black people, it was probably the first time in his life he'd ever encountered black people. And he, when, when any of my friends would say anything would be marginally racist, my father would come down on them like a ton of bricks. The, the, the white girl who lived next door to us wanted to marry a black man. Her parents literally disowned her. And my father walked her down the aisle in that wedding. He became the most, you know, he, it just flipped him upside down. My wife went through, back in the 60s in, in East Lansing, Michigan, through these uh, uh, black awareness classes and read Cry the Beloved Country and the autobiography of Malcolm X and whatnot. Uh, how, you know, it seems like these, these are waking up experiences for white people. How do we more broadly generalize, generalize this? How do, we, how do we get out of this? Where do we go from here? Well, part of it is exactly what you're talking about, which is dealing with the issue of ignorance. It, ignorant people aren't bad or evil. They're just uneducated. I mean, my grandmother never met a Muslim that she knew about and said some horrible things after 9-11. And I said, Grandma, come with me and let's talk to a Muslim. And it changed her whole view just by having that first person contact. So in a, a similar story that you're telling, a lot of it is breaking out of our bubbles and meeting people, meeting refugees and meeting gay people and, you know, getting to know people as human beings as opposed to stereotypes or memes on Facebook. So that's the first step. The second step is giving people the tools to handle all this change, to understand it. So they don't immediately go into the sort of simplistic black and white world that we're you know, being attacked. I mean, these guys literally that were marching in Virginia were saying, you know, the, the white man is losing America. And if you don't understand the history of America in terms of the, the patchwork of cultures and immigrant groups and all the people that have participated in, in America, including the slaves, that is a very resonant claim that, you know, somehow this picture of history that I've been taught is going away. And if I don't do something now, it's going to be unrecognizable. Well, that person needs to be educated a little bit on the history as well and, and given some skills by which to manage that change. Uh, and so that's a lot of the work we do through the coalition is trying to find resources. There's an amazing group now of former white supremacists, people who used to be members of skinhead groups and Klan groups. They're called Life After Hate. And they do amazing work de-radicalizing other right-wing extremists by talking about how they fell into it, the thinking errors they made, the behavioral errors they made, and how their life is better now that they got out of it. They're a wonderful resource. Um, we're using them in the Islamic world in Europe, and we're starting to use them in the white supremacy. What's the name of that group? I'd love to get somebody on on the show as a guest. Yeah, there's some great folks. They're called Life After Hate. Uh, okay, cool. We'll check it out. They're a, they can really provide a testimony about the appeal of that world, especially to young men, and what it took to get out of it, and the incredible perspective and insight that you have once you're on the outside looking back inward at it. Do you think that having a... And can I just say, and can I just say they were given a $400,000 grant by the Obama administration in January that was rescinded by the Trump administration last month. So I just want to throw that in. Oh, there. sweet Jesus. Yeah, so they're worth seeking out and supporting because they really need help to do the work that they're doing. Uh, that's, so, yeah. that, that is, that's obscene. Um, yeah. Wow. 
Do you think that having a president who has, uh, you know, as you, you referred to him two years ago, the Nazi dream date, uh, who's a, 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 apparently a white nationalist, certainly has surrounded himself with at least three prominent ones in the White House. Um, and uh, even today, when they finally, after three days, came out with a carefully scripted paragraph uh, condemning Nazis, never used the word terrorism or white terrorism, and certainly would never say white Christian terrorism. This is the guy who for eight years was screaming that Obama would not say radical Islamic terrorism. Do you think that that is helping or hurting? Uh, you know, obviously the white nationalists, these, these Nazis, they think that they've got their guy in the White House. But for the broader dialogue, is this helping wake up America or is this throwing us back? Is this like a, a new version of birth of a nation? Yeah, I mean, I think from the work that I do, with the white supremacists, just spending time in their chat rooms and their discussion forums, they know that sometimes he has to sort of play to the political mainstream and, you know, say Happy Hanukkah in December or something like that. But he is speaking their language. He's carrying their cause. I mean, I don't know what's in Trump's mind or heart. He just seems kind of dumb to me. Like, he, he doesn't really know what's happening. But the, um, the, the, that group definitely sees him as their last best chance. The wider population, including a lot of the people that voted for him, also are angry about affirmative action, they're angry about civil rights, they're angry about immigration, uh, and they don't have the essentially the tools to make sense of what's going on, because the only people that's explaining to them are these folks on the right who say, you know, it's the illegal immigrant who wants to rape your daughter, that's the problem. So, um, so it's it's, e it's easy in that sense to pull those people over to this extremist side. And what we're seeing, and I, mean, I think you are, are, are probably one of the best voices on this, is that the, the dialogue, the political discourse is just inching, inching farther and farther to the right to a point where, you know, John McCain is now a liberal and the fascists are now sort of have a stake in mainstream right. political discourse. Dr. Dr. Blazik, we're, we're out of time, but thank you. Dr. Rand, Randy Blazik, uh, sociology professor at University of Oregon, Oregon, CAHC.org. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.